Rock and roll. Welcome to Parkview. We're glad you're here. All of our campuses uh, online, really glad you're watching. Let us know how we can help you. One of the things I like to do is just share stuff that I get along the way. People email me. Here's a health tip for the day. I think you'll find helpful. If you stir coconut oil into your kale, it makes it easier to scrape it into the trash. <laughs> just here to be helpful. Okay, that's what I do. Let, let, let's just, let me just, all of our campuses, let me just ask you, how many of you had kale this week? Okay. How many of you had bacon this week? Uh, all right. Amen. Okay. That's I'm just checking. Okay. That's what I thought. Why is it that doing what you know is good for you is so hard and doing what isn't good for you is so easy? I mean, really nothing has changed. In the Garden of Eden, God said, here's all this stuff that you can have. And I don't think there was any kale in the Garden of Eden. All this stuff that you can have, there's no Brussels sprouts, just like just good, healthy stuff. But, but, but there's one fruit I don't want you to eat from. And that's so that you can decide whether you love me or not. And that was the one that was the most appealing. And that's the way it always has been. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate because wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, right? We get that. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So are you going to be few or are you going to be many? That's how it's going. The wide road is eating forbidden fruit instead of what is healthy, um, you know, theoretically speaking. The wide road is spending all your money and going into debt to buy more stuff instead of, you know, doing what we know is better. Why, why do we do what we do? Max Lucado talked about going to uh, one of those Chuck E. Cheese ball pits for the first time with his two daughters. Five-year-old Jenna did fine. Three-year-old Andrea, however, had a few difficulties. As soon as she took one step into the pit, she filled her arms with balls. Now, it's hard enough to walk through waist-high pit of balls with your arms spread wide to keep your balance. It's impossible to do it with your arms full when you're three years old. Andrea took a step and fell. She began to wrestle her way up without releasing the balls. She couldn't do it. She began to cry. I walked over to the edge of the pit. Andrea, I said gently, let go of the balls and you can walk. No, she screamed, wiggling and submerging herself beneath the balls. I reached in from the side and pulled her up. She was still clutching her arm full of treasures. Andrea, her wise, patient father said, if you let go of the balls, you'll be able to walk. No, she took two more steps and fell in again. Now, parents aren't supposed to go into the pit. I tried to reach her from the edge, but I couldn't. She was somewhere under the ball, so I spoke toward the area where she had fallen. Andrea, let go of the balls so you can get up. I saw movement under the balls. No. Andrea spoke her slightly agitated father. You could get up if you would let go. No. Jenna, come here and help your sister up. By now, other parents were starting to look at me. Jenna waded through the balls towards her little sister. She reached down into the pit, tried to help Andrea onto her feet. But Jenna wasn't strong enough. And Andrea couldn't help because she was still clutching to the balls that she had grabbed when she first stepped into the pit. Jenna straightened up and shook her head at me. I can't do it, Daddy. Andrea. Her increasingly irritated father said loudly, let go of the ball so you can get up. The cry from beneath the balls was a muffled but distinct, no. Great, I thought to myself, she's got what she wants and she's going to hold on to it if it kills her. Jenna, her visibly agitated father said sternly, take the balls away from your sister. Down Jenna dove, digging through the balls like a puppy digging through the dirt. I knew she had found her sister and that the two were engaged in mortal combat when waves of balls began to move on the surface of the pit. 
By now, the other parents were whispering and pointing, and I looked forlornly at the employee who was monitoring the pit. And I didn't even have to say a word. He just said, go on in. So I waded through the balls to my two little angels, broke the death locks they had on each other, put one under each arm and carried them to the center of the pit and dropped them next to the table where all the other kids scrambled away when they saw me coming. Then I marched back to the side of the pit and sat down. As I watched the girls play with the balls, I asked myself, what is it that makes children immobilize themselves by clutching their toys so tightly? I winced as the response surfaced, whatever it is, I bet they learned it from their parents. We're talking about the, the money side of what's the road to destruction or the road to life for the last couple of weeks and, and one more week next week. Week one, we talked about this. We said, you're never going to figure out how this issue is going for you unless you figure out where you are. You can't follow a GPS signal that doesn't know where you are right now. So the very first thing you have to do is sit down and look, actually look at what is going on financially. That, that's super important. The next thing is no more debt. Every car salesman in our congregation has now talked to me since I said this, but please don't go do anything else right now. I'm not saying ever. I'm just saying right now. Somebody gave me this. Debt is a dumb explanation for buying things, okay? You don't, you don't need to go into any more debt right now. Just, just leave that alone so that you don't have to worry about it. Last week, Pastor Todd did a great job explaining what living with margin would be like. If you live with margin, because when your margin increases, then your stress decreases. And we know better. We know what's right and we know what's wrong. And yet 50% of the nation is literally one paycheck from disaster. And we already know how much our nation is headed towards disaster with our national deficit. And it's the number one cause of divorce in our relationships. So it shouldn't be ironic at all that that's the number one thing that Jesus talked about. It is the competition for God in our life. The number one, you can't serve God and money. And maybe that's you and you know it. Maybe it's you and you don't know it. But I think most of us have had the experience of waking up one March or April morning and deciding to finally do our taxes and looking at our W-2 form and going, wow, where did all that go? Or, or, or adding it all up someday and going, how did I get in this much debt? Why do I feel this much pressure? Why am I always wanting more? Why am I never content with what I have? Or having the experience of starting to think ahead. Maybe you start to get older like me and you're like, do, am I going to have enough? Am I saving enough? Am I saving enough for the future? Little boy asked his grandpa one day, can you make us sound like a frog? Grandpa said, yeah, why? He said, because mama said, when you croak, we're going to be rich. <laughs> if you got that looking out on the future, then that's great. But, but otherwise, you know, you, you probably ought to be thinking about this at some point. You're going to get to my age and start thinking about it. And when you look at your W-2 and, and your taxes, you ever go... Why am I not giving more? I mean, I always feel like a generous person in my mind, but when it comes to actually doing it, it never happens. Here's the thing. Andy Stanley said this. You can't decide to make Jesus the Lord of your life and take a pass on this issue. Jesus said too much about money. You can't say, I love you, God, and I want to go to heaven when I die, and I'm going to, I want to sing the songs, and I want to listen to the messages that make me feel better. And, and by the way, God, please bless me and bless my family. Let us experience the glory of your goodness. We just sang that, right? Bless me, bless me, bless me, but keep your hands off of this issue. doesn't work that way because money is spiritual. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, okay? This 
and this are connected inexplicitly, okay? They are completely connected. And if that scares you, it shouldn't because Jesus' path is the road to life. But here's the problem. There's something inside of all of us that wants to divorce these issues. It happens to me too. I want to have my spiritual life over here and my financial life over here. We want to do that. We want to keep them separate. And that's the wrong path. And it leads to the wrong place. It leads to destruction. Many people in this room could tell you this. Um, Dave Ramsey, I'm going to play a clip from him. Again, uh, you know, he's a money guru, 587 radio stations, 13 million people every week listen to him say the same thing over and over again. Stop going into debt. Get out of debt. Get, get yourself out of debt. Get yourself with some margin. Live the way that God wanted you to live. Do you know why he is so passionate about that? Because back in the day, he got out of whack and had to declare bankruptcy. He's a believer, okay, in that. And now he helps teach, and we have Financial Peace University. He helps do this along the way to, to help other people figure this out. So I did a little interview with him a couple of weeks ago. Um, whether you know who he is or not, doesn't matter. He, I asked him, well, what about our kids? I mean, his kids have turned out great. One of his kids speaks all over the country on this issue. How did you raise your kids? Because a lot of you, you need, to, you need to go, okay, maybe I don't have this figured out now, but what am I going to do with my kids or my grandkids for that matter? So here you go. Tell us how you raised your kids to handle money, you know, for those of us that are in this place right now. Well, we teach kids four things about money, just like we teach adults four things about money, but you teach the kids age appropriately. In other words, a three-year-old will be different than a 13-year-old mm -hmm. message. But the concept is pretty simple. We teach them to work, because I meet 53-year-olds that haven't learned that rule, <laughs> and then we teach them to give, to save, and to spend wisely. Mm. And so if you're three years old and you pick up your toys, which really means mom probably picked up most of them, yeah. but you still get all the emotional credit. You're the best room cleaner in the world. High five, wad up a dollar, give them a dollar in a clear jar. They just worked. They just made an emotional connection with money and work. Now we've got some money we can give. We've got some money we can save. We've got some money we can spend. And that's how we taught them all the way up mm -hmm. until, you know, when they're teenagers, we put them on their own checking account and we watched over their shoulder to make sure they're doing it right because you don't just turn them loose with the car keys never having had a driving lesson. Yeah, yeah. And, but by the time they go to college, none of our children called us from college looking for money. We had a budget that they were on each month mm -hmm. that was in agreement. None of our children, they knew if they needed more, they needed to go to work. None of our children bounced a check in college. And all four, all three graduated in four years. Mm. All of those things are interconnected because all it means is have a plan mm. and don't just be wandering along and hoping you don't get hit in the traffic. Mm. Um, are you going to have that, are you going to have a problem with your grandkids? Like giving them too much money because so far I'm being really bad. Are you going to do that too? You know, I don't think I'll have a problem giving them too much money because I don't think my kids are going to let me. Um, I've already been everything. I've already been called down on this, so um, I didn't give them too much money, but I just like Christmas is kind of sick. I'm buying everything in Toys R Us that has a motor in it for my old grandson. I mean, he's like he can't even ride that for four years, but I got him one. You know, I mean, it's like you know, it's it's ridiculous, and, and I can afford it. So Nana's shut up. Really you know? bad, right? Yeah. You got it really. And they're like, Dad, what's he gonna? He's got nothing. You know, you got to stop this. And I'm like, Okay, I'll stop it. It's okay. <laughs> But it was fun for a little while. <laughs> yeah, well, it's going to be fun. It's a great stage of life. Hey, grandkids are great. If I don't know how great grandkids are going to be, I've been nicer to their parents. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> That's a good line. Our grandsons are about the same age. That's true. You, 
can do whatever you want when you're a grandpa. But when we're raising our kids, we got to make sure. I got to tell you, all three of my daughters are married. All of them and their husbands have been through Financial Peace University. And it is, one, I mean, other than knowing Jesus and having a solid marriage, it's one of the most comforting things to me as a dad. They don't have it all figured out. I mean, they're not like all debt free and all that kind of stuff yet. But, but they got the plan. They know how to make it happen. They know how to live with margin and how to manage all of that stuff. That's huge, okay? So you're going to figure out where you are, no more debt, start living with margin, and then we're going to gain the right perspective, all right? I told you Jesus talked about this more than anything else. 43% of his parables, his stories that he told, had to do with this issue. Matthew 25, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five bags of money, okay? A talent was a measurement. I know it's confusing to us because we're like talent, but that, interchangeable. Five bags of money to another two talents to another one talent, each according to his ability. We don't know what was in it, so we don't know what it was worth, but obviously the story is, is about something important. Then he went on a journey. The man who had received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two put his money to work and gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. And, and master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. Look what I did. I gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents came. Master, you entrusted me with two talents. I have gained two more. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Same thing. Come and share your master's happiness. Didn't matter how much they had multiplied it. They just did something with what they had. The man who had received one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown seed and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. He just basically had, this, had the king's stuff all, all for a long time and did nothing with it. And at the end, he gave it back, which, by the way, we all do anyway. His master replied, Listen, I know a lot of times you're like, oh, Jesus teaching. Let's just listen to Jesus teaching. Love everybody. This is Jesus teaching. Master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money in the bank so that when I returned, I could have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten for everyone who has will be given more and will have an abundance, and who does not, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All God's people said, come on. I mean, wow, that's, that, that's, that's Jesus' story, okay? That's Jesus' story about our responsibility to take care of the stuff that he's given us. So let me give you some observations, okay? And the first one is this. Everything belongs to the king, and he is coming back. It's really the biggest part of the story here uh, in the New Testament. Paul says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, then why do you boast as though you have accomplished something on your own? It's just ridiculous. How about the Old Testament? Remember, it's the Lord who gives you the ability to produce wealth in the first place. Let me help you with this concept 
by bringing up what may be a painful memory to those of you who are parents, okay? Have you ever been at McDonald's or a fast food restaurant with your kids and had this experience, okay? You're sitting there and you didn't order any fries for yourself because you know that fries are bad for you. You may not eat kale, okay, but you know not to eat the fries, right? So, so you're, you're, you're sitting there with your grilled chicken sandwich and you eat your grilled chicken sandwich or your salad or whatever you're trying to do so that you can be a little more healthy and you're still hungry, so you give in and you reach over and take a fry from one of your kids. Okay, you're a bad parent because you didn't get the apple slices already. So you're thinking, well, I shouldn't have got them the fries anyway. I'll just reach over and grab one. And, and, and they, maybe this hadn't happened to you, maybe your kids aren't this way, grab the fries and pull them back and say, no, those are my fries. That experience, okay? Let, let, let me help you with this whole I equation, okay? Your child's attitude problem is three things, okay? First of all, your child doesn't understand that you are the source of those fries. You, the only reason they have any fries is because you bought the stinking fries, okay? Number two, your child doesn't understand that you have the power over the fries, right? You could take the fries from them if you want, or if you're so inclined, you could go buy $50 worth of fries and dump them greasy French fries right on their selfish little butts if you want to, okay? I'm done parenting now, so I can just think about how I would do it today, okay? You can do whatever you will. You're the, you're the source and, and you're the power, okay? And the third thing is your child doesn't understand that you don't really need their French fries. You just want her or him to share. And if that's ever happened to you, you realize that your disappointment is not because you wanted french fries as much as you wanted your child to be a generous person and to share with you his father or his mother. Okay? With me? First of all, everything belongs to the king and he is coming back. Don't forget that. And the second thing is the king trusts us with his gifts. Okay? They are his things that he gives us, but he says, I want you to have them. While you're here on the earth, I want you to have them. And I can't explain it. It seems like the riskiest thing in the world that Jesus went up into heaven and left everything to the disciples and left everything to the human beings here on earth to do the kingdom. And in a million years, I never would have connected. I never would have chanced using Tim Harlow to grow the kingdom of heaven. I would have never given him my power and my money and my talents and my abilities to establish my kingdom here on this earth if I'm the king. And the thing that should hit you the hardest in your Christian life is that God has, it should get you off your bottom line. God has decided to give his kingdom to people like you. And his kingdom will completely grow according to how we use his gifts. And if we don't use them, something is not going to get done. Someone is not going to be ministered to. One preacher had someone ask him, hey, if I don't tithe, will I go to hell? And he said, no, but somebody else may. I mean, do you, do you think about, do you, do you realize how much we could do if we got a hold of this concept? The average American Christian gives about 2.5% to charity every year. The average American gives about 2.5% to charity every year. Across the board, American Christians are not more generous than plain old average Americans. What more could we do if we were more generous? Last week, we had the funeral from my good friend who lived across the street from me in Mokina for 20 years. 
I can't tell you how grateful I am for those of you who helped us put a campus in Orland Park back in 2002 so that my neighbor could have a place to come to church. As a matter of fact, for those of you who remember 2002, when we relocated over to the Orland Park campus, we put in our building, which is now just our children's building, and before we put the, the, the baptismal tub in, before we dropped it into place, we had a big time where we all put names on the cards of people that we thought we wanted this church to be able to reach. And I was thinking about it yesterday during worship. One of the names on that card was the guy that I buried last week, was Jimmy Carroll. And over the course of time, because people sacrificed, because people did amazing things, because we went over and above and, and, and did a bunch of stuff to make that building happen and this building happen and your building happen at New Linux and your building happen in, in, at Homer and who knows what else along the way, Jim and his family found Jesus. It gave me the opportunity last December to have this moment in the tub with my friend, who you could tell from the expression on his face, knew the diagnosis of brain cancer, knew that there was a chance that he wasn't going to be around a lot longer. And, and, and this is what happens when we do what we get to do with the gifts that the king gives us. Yesterday I got a letter from one of our girls, grew up in this church, like 30 years in this church, and she's going to Papua New Guinea to translate Bibles. And she's sending out letters for fundraiser, you know, to try to raise some funds. And I'm just like, man, I, I just want to write her a check and say, here, go, just go do this. Wouldn't that be great? I had a meeting in Nashville with a high-powered attorney who's trying to start a, a, a trauma center for young kids in, in Nashville so that, that we can help with a suicide rate for young kids. And, and, and I thought, man, I'd just love to, uh, it's a great program, it's a great idea, I'd love to write a check. Our church in Brazil, our church plant that we're waiting to start until we have some money set aside that we can make happen is ready to go. We got a whole church we could plant. It, we could do all that if we would be responsible with the gifts that God has given us. The king loaned us his stuff for just a few years on this earth, and he trusted his stuff with us to use the best we can for his kingdom. The third thing is, you know, the, everything belongs to the king. He trusts us with his gifts, and the king will hold us accountable for how we manage it. I mean, this is not my story. And I know you're like, man, dude, this is deep. No, the, the question that the king is going to ask is, what have you done with what I gave you? It's not about going to heaven. It's not about salvation. It's not about works. It's, hey, I gave you different opportunities, different abilities, different and, and you were going to get different results. But did you do anything with them? Did you do anything with them? This is Jesus' story. And such harsh treatment, throw him outside, weeping and gnashing. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you expect Jesus to say that the, that the king says, well, no, you need to, you know, get, we'll give you another chance. Here's another bag of money. Go try it again. Put him on probation. Send him a FPU, you know, help him to understand this a little bit better. But, but he doesn't. And, and the reason that he doesn't is because what he said all the way through his gospels, if you have not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who is going to trust you with property of your own? You see that? The Bible makes it clear that we will be held to account on how we manage our money. Have we earned it honestly? Have we invested it wisely? Have we given generously? And it's not just the five talent rich people who are going to be accountable. It's the one talent people that are also going to be held accountable because the money issue and the heart issue, they're interchangeable. And the problem with the guy who, who blew it is one of two things. It's all you can figure. 
I think it was number one, he was just selfish and he buried the money because he thought if the king doesn't come back, nobody's going to know where the money is and I can keep it. You know, like pulling a trailer behind a, a hearse, you know, just thinking maybe there's some way I can, I can take this all with me someday. But the other problem is that he, uh, what he said was he was afraid. He was afraid of the king. He was essentially saying, I know you gave me this to use, but I'm afraid of what might happen because I don't really believe that you're a good, good father. You're a good, good king. I don't really, I don't really trust you. I know some of you are thinking right now, Tim, you have no idea what's going on right now. I'm having an out-of-money experience right now, Tim. I'm telling you that, you know, this does not apply to me, and I get this. I get it, and, and let us help you, okay? But what I'm telling you is there's a road to life, and there's a road to destruction, and it's connected to the way that we handle this, okay? It's very much connected to the way that we handle our finances. If your appendix is rupturing and you go to the doctor and he pushes on you right here and says, does this hurt? You're going to go, no. But if he pushes on you right here and says, is this, does this hurt? You're going to go, ah, because that's where it is, right? That's where the unhealthy spot is. So if you find you're a little sensitive on this issue today, all I can say is if you're going, ah, maybe this spot is a little bit unhealthy. And I think for all of us it is. That's why Jesus talks about it over and over and over again. So let me explain to you with apples. Bring, bring out the apples. I want, you to, I want you to see this. Thanks, Alicia. Um, this is just the, the way that I believe God set up, and Dave Ramsey will say this again next week in our video. This is a simple way to figure it out. Thanks, Alicia. Uh, a simple way to figure out how to manage your money. If you're going to manage your money, just think about it this way with the apples. And I think the apples are great because let's go back to the Garden of Eden. There's one apple you're not supposed to eat and all the rest of them were great, right? The Bible, the Bible tells us this, okay? A tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. Tithe was 10%. It's Old Testament. I know we're not bound by Old Testament law, but the tithe was before Old Testament law actually, with Abraham and Melchizedek. And Jesus said the tithe was still valid in the New Testament, but we can argue about that later. I don't care what this, I don't tithe gross or net or, you know, you could take out your, your gambling money and, and you know, anything else, your cable bill, whatever, and then tithe off the rest of it. That doesn't matter to me. I'm just saying this is the way God set it up, okay? Literally meant a tent. In fact, it's not really even giving back. It, 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 it's just, it's just, it's honestly, it's just, it's just returning because this is all his. Don't forget that. God says, I have all the apples I need. I can make apples for crying out loud. But here is the test, okay? I want this apple to be mine. I want you to give it back to me. A tithe belongs to the Lord. I want this tithe to come to the storehouse where you are fed, all right? Don't eat the apple. This is a test. I don't, I, this, is, this is what I want to have happen here. Are you with me? Okay, so I have all the apples I need, and I need for you to not worry about not having any more apples along the way. I need for you to not figure it out. I'm going to give you nine more apples so that you can know what you want to do with it, okay? I'm going to give you, here's these eight green apples. You can buy a house with it. You can buy some food with it. You can give it to that guy in Nigeria who keeps asking you for it on email. Whatever you want to 
to do. But hey, here's a good idea, okay? You should probably save one of these apples. You got that email. Okay, good. Uh, One of these apples, let's make this the yellow apple, and we'll call this the saving apple. This is not like a biblical principle. This one definitely is. This one is just in there over and over again, like have some margin so that if your car breaks down, you don't have to put it on your credit card. Or when it's time for your kids to go to college, and lo and behold, even though everybody told you they were very talented in hockey, and you spent tens of thousands of dollars on their hockey career, and they even made the traveling team, somehow they didn't get a scholarship to college, you have some money set aside so that you don't have to borrow from Mr. Stafford, whoever that guy is, and pay for your college, okay? So what do we do? We all go, okay, well, I'm I'm looking ahead, I'm going to plan, I'm going to figure out where I'm at, and this is probably a good idea. So what do we do? The only way this happens is if I automate it, right? The only way I have a retirement account is that I have a 403B or a 401K of some kind that I set aside money over a long period of time and it compounds and hopefully I'll have enough money to retire someday and all that will be good. The only way I could have had enough money for college, which I didn't, and you never will either, so please listen to me, okay? Um, We did have a 529 plan. I like the numbers, right? You got a 403B, you got a 401K, you got a 529 for the college savings plan. That's all the yellow apple stuff. Why do we automate it? Because we know if we don't automate it, we're not going to do it. When your baby is born, you don't set a coffee can out and say, well, let's just put our loose change in at the end of the day and hope we have enough money for college. It's just not going to work. But hey, you know what? Yellow apples, they never look that good anyway, do they? I mean, honestly, I, I was never really tempted by them. But this red one, man, I mean, they don't call that delicious for nothing, do they? So what happens to most of us is we're like, okay, this is what I got. I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to it. I automated this, so it's going okay. And all of a sudden one day, I'm like, oh, man, I need a little bit more. Well, I haven't automated it, so I'm not really paying attention very much. So I'm just eating, you know, whatever I want to. I'm just going to keep eating. And um, this red apple looks really good. It looks a lot better because you know those are sour, right? You know those are kind of sour, and this one... Oh, it's so good. This is why, this is, this is this red one, man. I mean, this is why so much of God's word is about this issue. It's because we don't pay enough attention to it. So my question for you is, where is your 463 plan? If you look at your phone, you spell God with your phone numeric code, 463. <laughs> is it time for a 463? Okay. You're never gonna have a 463 plan unless you automate it, okay? Never gonna happen. This is a terrible apple. <laughs> I'm fe- either feeling convicted by God or they just bought the worst red delicious apples they could possibly find. <laughs> They're like, no, you're gonna, you're gonna screw up this illustration. No, I'm not. I wish that the tithe tasted bad all the time because it, it doesn't, but here's what I want you to say. We're gonna stop doing the offering, okay? We're gonna stop passing the offering. We're still going to have offering boxes. I'll have them here next week. I, I, you know, and if you want to bring your check, if you want to come in and put, put cash in or do whatever you want to, we're going to stop doing that. But I, I want to encourage you to automate this, okay? If you automate your tithe, like I do, like I have for years, I don't get to the end. I don't get to March and go, wow, I, did, I didn't give as much as I thought because I have it already set up. I've automated it. 
right? This is important. And the reason that this is important is this, this is a test. I want you to notice, first of all, that what even the king, the crazy king who says, throw that servant out, he says, I want you, when you're faithful with what I've given you, I want you to come and share in my happiness. I'll talk more about this next week, but man, that, that's where you want to be, right? I want to share in, in, in the happiness of my father. And this is what he said. Well, how are you using what I gave you? That's going to go together. So he tells us, Todd talked about this last week, bring the tithe into the storehouse where you are fed. Test me. Okay, this is the only place in scripture where he says test me. The only place. Because it's that important. Test me. All the scripture. This is it. And what will happen? Come share in my happiness. How about this? See, been living this all of my life. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not be able to contain it. And some preachers are going to say, yeah, he's going to make you rich. And I think that's a bunch of baloney because I have way more important things in my life than riches when I want blessings from God. Don't you? When someone's telling you how blessed they are, they don't say, oh, I got a new golf club. Hashtag blessed, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right? No, it, it, that's not it, man. It's my family. It's my relationships, my church, it's my health. Stuff is always way down the list because it's not that important. But let's go back to the fries. When it comes to your finances, right? God says, look, I'm going to buy you some fries. I'd like for you to be grateful and I'd like for you to share them. I'd like for you to prove to me that you know where they came from. And he reaches over to get a fry. And if we say, oh, no, God, this is mine. You got to stay out of this area. God, I think, looks at us and says, don't they understand that I'm the source of all of these blessings? Don't they understand that? Don't they understand that I have the power over what they have to give them more or to take away? Don't, don't they understand that all I really wanted was for them to share? I don't need apples. I can make them myself. So I'm challenging you to try it. You got a three-month tithe card. Pull that out. I, 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 want, you to, I want you to see the three-month tithe challenge. We've done this before, and I want to tell you right now, um, offerings are going to come by at the end of the service. Only two more weeks where we're doing this, right? Um, so, you know, this is, it's going to come by at the end of the service, and I just want you to fill this out and throw it in. Sign it if you want. If you want it to be legal, you'll need to sign it. Don't sign it. I don't care. I, and what is your tithe? Gross net? Whatever. You figure that out. I, I, this is not about salvation. This is about the road to life. So you decide how far onto the road to life that you want to get. And I'm issuing the three-month tithe challenge. If you already do this, if you're already a regular tither, then fill it out and throw it in so, so, so you feel good, so people see it. I would love for you to do that. You tear this off, okay? The top part you keep for yourself, the bottom part you fill in, and I want you to go home and automate it, okay? Do whatever to make it happen. And over the next three months, I'm money back guaranteeing you. And those of you that have been around here before, you can see that we way more legalized the terms of agreement this time. Okay? I mean, we have never, I've done this before and never had anybody say, I want my money back. But, you know, just in case somebody comes to us later and says, oh, I put a $100,000 bill in the offering plate and it didn't work, I want it back. We can say, well, they don't make a $100,000 bill and, you know, if you didn't do this, okay? See what I'm saying? Had to legalize it a little bit, but all the terms are on there. I promise you this is legal. We will give you a three months. You look back in September and go, man, you know what? I've been tithing for three months and God did not come through. God did not throw open any floodgates for me. God has not come through. I want my money back. You're a liar, Harlow. I want my money back. I will give it to you. We never ever had it happen, okay? It's really kind of silly, 
because if God told you to test him in this, I don't know why Tim Harlow would make any difference to you, but I promise you that I will. Countless people experience God's blessings when they tithe, but often the first step is the hardest one. So that's why we're saying try the tithe for three months, okay? Just try for three months. It's money back guarantee and tell God that you trust him. Fill out the card, take a shot at it. And we're going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to show you a video just drastically illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. Do you trust him? Do you really trust that God is going to take care of you? This is the one place he said would be the easiest place for you to start. Fill it out. Then we're going to do some worship. We'll have the offering trays come by. Throw it in there. Put it in one of the boxes on the way out. Go home and pray about it. Send it back to us. Bring it back next week. We'll have them here next week. Whatever. I just can't tell you enough. This is the single most growth experience you will ever have in your Christian life. You go to a monastery. You go for a retreat. Anything else that you could do for your spiritual life, man, it will not measure up to watching God work when it comes to this issue in your life. So fill out the cards, throw them in the offering when they go by and watch this. We're going to do communion now. And um, I mean, you you got to understand the Bible tells us God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. I mean, he's a giver. That's who he is. Romans 8, 31, 32 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's what I want you to know more than anything else. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's where you need to live. That's where you got to understand all of this is for you. He doesn't need anything. He just wants, he knows that you having a generous life is going to be the best way. But if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, Romans goes on to say, how will he not also give graciously give us all things? I mean, what else, what else could he do? We celebrate communion together. Let's do it now. God, thank you for giving to people who didn't deserve it. It's not hard for us to give to a God who does. But thank you for giving to people like me who didn't deserve it. Jesus, thank you for giving everything, your body and your blood, to save me. Lord, I'm so grateful for your grace. So grateful that my place in heaven is not secured by how I do things here on this earth. I just know there's a life road and a destruction road. And a whole lot of people are on the destruction road. You said that 2,000 years ago. We want to live differently than that. So be with us now as we recognize the fact, as we get the perspective of who you are and what you did. Thank you for it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.